Evening all, welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things English football pyramid. On today's episode, the Euro 2024 groups are out, but is England's group as easy as it's being made out? We'll review the weekend's Premier League action with Man City's 3-0 draw with Tottenham and Liverpool leaving it late to beat Fulham 4-3. We'll then look ahead to the midweek fixtures where Aston Villa host Man City and Man United play Chelsea. We'll look at the main results from the EFL, including Premier Pod Cup holders Southampton extending their winning streak. And we'll finish up with Lauro, who will talk us through Yeovil's FA Cup tie loss at Wrexham and preview their return to league action against Bath on Wednesday. I'm your host, Alex Murphy, and once again, I'm joined by Tom Gallagher and Tom Lawrence. Uh, boys, start with the Euro 24 draw. So, Laura, I've seen a bit um, online about England's draw being favourable in Serbia, Denmark and Slovenia, which on face value, I kind of thought, yeah, should be fairly straightforward for England. But just just your thoughts on that and if it's maybe a little bit more difficult that's being, than being made out. Yes and no, because I think that it has the potential to all three of those games to be like quite frustrating and difficult. And if you're not at it, maybe come out on the wrong side or something. But then you think that ain't going to happen in all three games, you wouldn't have thought. And moreover, I just think that if we're at full complement, which is the biggest thing about the Euro 2024 for England, i.e. Bellingham's playing, Kane's playing, Rice is playing, probably Carl Walker as well. And everyone that we want to be playing with fixture proof, we're a little bit like Man City were, you know, two or three years ago, whereby it doesn't matter what happens, we should we should certainly beat everyone in that group, and in my opinion, everyone in the tournament. So we need to be at it and make sure that we're not complacent and going in thinking this is a walkover group because there isn't like an Iran in there. Do you know what I mean? Or one of the like a really weak one that you sort of tend to get in most groups throughout the certainly the recent tournaments we've had. There isn't a Panama in there. They're all teams that are capable on their day of doing something. They'll all have threats. Um, you know, Denmark took us to extra time in the last Euros, didn't they? Serbia, we know we've got Mitrovic and players like that. So they'll carry their own threats, but I see us going through hopefully in, um, you know, with maximum points. But yeah, it's not a piece of piss, I wouldn't say. Yeah. Tomo, confident England get through that though? Yeah, definitely. De- you, you talk about Denmark. We obviously... um we drew, didn't we, in the, the semi-final, as Laura just said, but I actually don't think they've been very good lately. I think they they just scraped past San Marino. Um, they've been struggling a lot, so I don't think they're the side they were. Um, Serbia, like Laura said, has got a couple of good players, um, but arguably their two best players in Milinkovic, Savic and Mitrovic now playing Saudi Arabia, so hopefully they're on that sort of semi-retirement vibe. Um and actually, I'm just having a look at all the groups now. And and the thing is, with the Euro, like Euros, there's only 24 teams. And Europe, European sort of international football is always really quite strong. So in, in terms of like the different other groups, you've got to take that because I'm just looking at Group B now, which is Spain, Croatia, Italy and Albania, which is like, that's what it could have, that's the sort of levels it could have been for England. So um well, some people say some people say that the Euros is actually harder to win than the World Cup because it's twenty four European teams rather than like I've just said getting your gimmies like a Panama or whatever. So maybe there's an argument to say that. And like you say, you look through the groups: Spain, Croatia, Italy, Albania. I said earlier the sort of thing that normally happens in a group like that is Albania will go through a bit like I don't know Morocco in the World Cup that just happened. So I think there'll be a couple of surprises in there. But what do you think? I know we'd all rabble in the World Cup, but Euro's just as hard. 
Yeah, I'd say so because with the Euro, with the Euros, it feels like quarterfinal is the very last. No, like round of sixteen or quarterfinals would be the very last stage before you could get a big team. Like you're going to run into a France, a Spain, an Italy, a yeah. Germany, a team like that. Whereas the World Cup, sometimes you can almost get through to a semi final, can't you? You think like Morocco got through to the semi finals, yeah, like we did. Yeah, and it it just kind of feels then that you sort of run into a a big side at that stage. But with the World Cup, it can maybe be a bit more of a, you say you might have a couple of gimme games in your group to get some form, get your strikers scoring goals. You know, we've beat like Iran and Panama with big score lines, get people sort of playing well and a good feeling about it. Whereas the Euros can be a bit more nervy, can't it? You know, like Serbia, Slovenia aren't in the top 30 in the world, but they'll probably be quite dogged and there'll be tight games. And yeah, I, I, I'd probably say the Euros is maybe a little bit harder, but I would rather win the World Cup. Agreed. So, yeah, so uh, looking ahead to June then for that, and also uh, just worth mentioning that Wales can potentially uh, go through as well, and I think they'd go into a, a really hard-looking group if they win their playoff structure, and Scotland are in it as well, and they kick off the tournament with Germany in their group as well. So um, if Wales can get through the playoffs, be a good kind of home nations representation there, but I think England obviously be looking to go the furthest out of them, and with their group should be knockout stages minimum. Um, there was something that was on Sky Sports, which I sent through to you guys earlier, which is obviously this is all very conceptual because uh, football tournaments don't play out like this. But if all results at Euro 24 go with the world rankings, England's opponents so in the round of 16, you'd have Austria, Romania or Turkey. Quarterfinals would then be Italy and then semi-final France and then uh, final against Spain with the way the draws made. So. You know, you might get one that you'd look to win against round of 16 against like a Turkey, but even they've been looking fairly strong. I think they won their group. Um, and then Italy quarterfinal, France, obviously we know from the World Cup what they're all about and, and Spain. So, yeah, I think it'll be tough, but got to beat, beat all those teams to win the tournament, haven't you? So hopefully England will be lifting that trophy in a few months time. Yeah, I don't think it matters. I think we win a lot. Genuinely, normally when we look at like what you've just done is sort of map out. We did it in the World Cup last year when everyone was like, right, we're going to get France on the 10th of December in the quarters. And we did. You normally do that and think, oh, hopefully we can avoid this and avoid that. I don't. I, genuinely, I don't care about that anymore. I genuinely think we are fixture proof. We are the favourites of the tournament and we should be anyone in front of us um, with a full fettle. So let's go at it, hammer and tongue and bring on the bacon from Germany. Yeah, and pray that the Bundesliga don't start off at Harry Kane and La Liga start on at Bellingham to try and uh, do them in May time. Boys, we move on to the weekend's Prem actions to start with Man City 3, Tottenham 3. Uh, Laura, in you've kind of brought this up most weeks now, and we seem to be saying after every fixture with City conceding goals, but more signs of their soft centre conceding free again yesterday, conceding really early and really late against Spurs. Yeah, well, two, two, firstly, just let's just say Spurs were really good, and we'll come on to that. Yet, City keep on conceding goals, and they do look a little bit more soft-centred. But it's another example of just, I think they've got one character too little, you know, one big character in the team too little. Like, again, a KDB, a Gundogan, or whatever. And there were periods throughout that game where the commentators had it right. Neville, whoever it was, I think it was Neville Drury. They just seemed to get a bit complacent, and it took a Tottenham goal to wake them back up. And as soon as you give someone a sniff for scoring a couple of goals, they're banging the game. Um, and they fell, you know, foul to that again. And they conceded three goals. I think it's 10 goals in the last three or something like that, if you include Leipzig. So 
worrying signs for them in terms of being quite as imperious as they have been. But Tottenham uh, just said that the commentators were right in saying about City's complacency, but they don't know what to make of Tottenham because every time Tottenham concede a goal, it's, ah, it's stupid, it's kamikaze, there's there's going all out and then there's being ridiculous. And then every time they score a goal, it's, oh, it's, you know, you know, big respect to big Angie, even if he only had five men. They don't know what to say. And I think at the end of the day, you've just got to look at the result and think Spurs, not second string, but with a lot of absentees, have gone to the Etihad and got a point. And with a back four, by the way, uh, that are all fullbacks and Lo Celso playing centre midfield basically. He was really good as well, by the way, and so was Brennan Johnson. So some real good standouts for Spurs. Brilliant point for them. Another troop two drop from Man City. They were uncharacteristically blunt, I thought, in front of goal, albeit they made quite a lot of chances. Maybe on another day they'd have won. There was obviously a big decision at the end or a big moment at the end that affected it, which I'm sure you'll come on to. But overall, um, sort of another game that we're sort of getting used to from Spurs at the moment. Not a full fettle, but giving us entertaining games and they deserve their point yesterday. Yeah, and you're right about the decision uh, at the end and to come on to that. Tomo, obviously the the kind of main talking point towards the end is City had a chance to go on and win the game uh, where Haaland was kind of fouled. The ref played a couple seconds advantage. He's then clipped it through to Grealish to go through. Uh, and then he's blown up and then kind of, I think, just kind of doubles down on his decision by looking a bit stony-faced when he's completely surrounded by players. But do you think in the back of his head, he's thinking, I've just absolutely fucked that? Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? That that um, It was a massive error, but it made me kind of pine for pre-VAR days because like Guardiola come out after the game and just said, yeah, he, it was an error. Like people make mistakes kind of thing. What can you do about it? Whereas, and I think we, we, everyone was a bit more accepting of that error because there was no way that VAR could get involved. Do you know what I mean? So it, it was a massive error and he definitely looked sheepish. I wonder if he sort of took his eye off Grealish and Porro a little bit and thought maybe Porro was going to get there and then obviously blew his whistle, blew his whistle and... And Grealish was in on goal. It, look, it's a massive error, but you can, I think, you can be be more accepting of of errors like that because, like, because people make mistakes, don't they? If you look at like Harlem was the big one, isn't he? Because he he was the one who played the ball. He, it was unbelievable um, passage of play from him, and then he kicked off massively. And obviously, he's since tweeted about it, saying what the fuck, etc. After the game, but well, he made two absolute stinking howlers in the first half where he missed an open goal and then missed the chance that he would score every day of the week and twice on Sunday. But he's not got the referee quote tweeting a clip of him missing an open goal and saying, what the fuck? Do you know what I mean? So, Do you know, do you know what, actually? we've I've had that before where I've like not been having a very good game and then I've said to, like, the refs made a decision where I'm just like then on at him. And he's just turned around to me and said before, like, why don't you work on your first touch type thing? And then like a few like opposition players around you like piss themselves and you're thinking, oh, right, I've just been completely done by a ref. But it's like, I wonder if there's a bit of that where Simon Hooper's just sat there thinking, well, Erling, if you'd have just put that cut back in in the first half, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, well, exactly. And this is why I, I was really happy with what Guardiola said after the game, where it was like, he literally said, well, we didn't draw that game because of that mistake. 
No. And if you have a look at the stats, I know we're all mightily impressed with Spurs, but on any other day, I thought City battered them in the first half and should have been sort of two or three clear. I think Alvarez had a had a um, chance where he hits the post. Um, Doku looked dangerous again before he got injured. And obviously we spoke about Haaland's um, couple of misses. But the, the encouraging thing for Spurs is that they kept on going and actually they were much better in the second half. Um, and I was just, I just had a look at the table there and, you know, they're only three points ahead of United, Man United that is, and I'm sure we'll come on to how bad they were on the weekend, but like the feel of Tottenham and like the, the sort of, the feel of the, like their style of play, the positivity surrounding Ange and the approach of that whole team and the, how the players chase and run for everything. They look like they're trying so hard and even they've just come back off come they're coming back off three defeats in a row but actually when you look at those results individually like apart from maybe the Wolves game where I don't think they were very good at all they were really good and they just come off they just come off the sort of wrong side of a, a result which you which you can do I guess um but but the reality of like Tottenham and Man United season is if if Man United didn't lose to Tottenham in that game earlier on in the season, we would be ahead of them in the league table. Do you know what I mean? That's how crazy this season is, is that even though it's all doom and gloom at Manchester United, I know I'm probably turning this Tottenham segment into Man United, typical Man United fan, yeah, but, um, and we're only three points behind Tottenham. It's crazy. The flip side of that, though, is that, Man United have just won five of the last seven and Spurs have gone are just coming through their worst run of form of the season with a depleted squad and Spurs are still three points ahead. So that's the other way of looking at it. And you say, talk about if United had won at the weekend or whatever against Newcastle, they'd be level. That's ifs and buts, isn't it? So if Newca- if Tottenham at this stage of the season, and we're over a third of the way through now, could be three points clear of a team that spend as much money and are as big as Man United, having come through a really poor period in terms of players being suspended and injured and haven't won in a few games now, then that's actually a really good thing for Tottenham to still be positive about, I think, especially after getting a point away at the Etihad. So maybe a little bit more um, tangible points from Man United on the board before we start comparing their seasons. No, but my I, I wasn't trying to stick up for Man United there. I, I, know, was, I, I was saying like that it goes to show how important just simply like the eye test is in football and watching football. Like yes. you say, you say Man United have just won five out of seven, but the reality of those games where we were piss poor for most of them and sort of limped over the line when we got those wins. And yeah. and then obviously Tottenham go and lose three in a row and draw yesterday, but all of those result, all of those performances were positive apart from maybe the Wolves one. And you've just made one of the biggest arguments you could ever possibly hope to hear against looking at stats. So thank you, Tiga. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? There's There was something in that game yesterday, I think it was, where I looked at the XG afterwards and I think it was like Man City was like 2.48 and Tottenham was like 0.83, but it finished 3 all. And I'm like, but does XG not need to update itself now because you're getting it bang wrong? If you're saying a team should only score... 0.8 goal. No, no that's not that's not what XG is, is it? That's it's it's expected goals. So it's essentially saying it's just about like the quality of chance that you create. And obviously, yeah, Man City, Man City created lots of quality chances and missed them. 
But if a, if a chance goes in, does that then from that position, if it's based on where it is on the pitch and, you know, what the finish was like or whatever, what XG is, is that updating season on season? Because all of these things that then where teams are underperforming on XG, it's like, well, actually that has gone in. So in the future, is it more likely that chance would go in because we're actually seeing it happen? Yeah, I'm, just... not really sure. I'm not sure how they work it out exactly, but... And also, does it matter? Say yesterday, Jack. Gr- I was just going to make the point about um, Simon Hooper as well blowing the whistle, and I agree with your point, Seagull, that it sort of makes you long for the days without VAR. Because the other thing is, there was no goal scored there. Do you know what I mean? It's not like we're ruling out a goal. Jack Grealish was through, but we know he's not in brilliant goal scoring form. Ironically, he did get a goal yesterday, but there was no guarantee that he'd have won the game or anything if that chance was allowed to go through. But with VAR, generally, we wait until a goal happens, don't we? until we come back and say, is it offside or was it handball or whatever? And then it feels like you're changing the scoreline. So really good point in that. Um, what were we just talking about before I came into that? Oh, it, so what I was going to say about XG is, does it also matter if Jack Grealish is through on goal or Erling Haaland's through on goal? Is that Does XG take into account that Erling Haaland is more likely to finish that chance than Jack Grealish? Yeah. No, Do you know what I mean? It does. I'm sh- I'm sure it does, surely. Well, you'd have to ask the XG fairies. Yeah. <laughs> one one to look at, I think, uh, outside of the pod. And oh, we just just on C- just just on City though, just on City, um, because we are we do seem to speak quite a lot, especially the last three or four results about them being a bit vulnerable, but and potentially sort of going a little bit off the ball. Yesterday, I did feel like it was the first time where I felt like they missed Kevin De Bruyne. Um, which says a lot about about how good they've been, really, considering he's been out all season. Um, but like the, the games they've drawn, they've drawn against Chelsea four all. They've drew against Liverpool and they've just drew against Tottenham. It's not the end of the world. Do you know what I mean? Like no. the reality, the reality of the Liverpool and the, the Liverpool and the Tottenham game was they were the better team and just couldn't finish their chances. Okay, yeah. they looked vulnerable going going behind or 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 conceding more goals definitely but i still think they're like i don't i wouldn't i'm not worried about them not winning the league this season at all no i, I don't disagree this definitely not the end of the world i'm only comparing themselves against the very high bar that they've set themselves because that's all you can do because they've been so good but when you you think about city and you think oh they're so good free flowing attacking football but actually what their last few title wins have been based on is they're really really hard to score against they concede less than anyone in the league. And that changing doesn't that doesn't mean the back four or the back three are necessarily at fault because the whole team defends, doesn't it? And it's the way that you shape up and the way the team plays um, as a collective. But that has changed. They are easier to get at and they are easier to pick up points against now. Only very slightly. And they might still win the league. They are obviously still the favourites. But I just think there's a little bit more of a chink in the armour there. And Arsenal are showing the complete reverse, whereby they are dogging out games more and picking up points. I know they're only three points ahead of them. City have come from way further back than that to win league titles before. They might still win it. But as a Premier League fan, Tigo, please just let us dream that it won't be them again this season. Because I think I'm spotting some little bits and pieces that suggest that it might be a closer run thing this year. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, just one quickly, like this time last year... Um, I know it's the World Cup, so maybe a little bit before or in January. If you remember rightly, Pep Guardiola was like playing Bernardo Silva left back sometimes because and 
Like he was getting it all wrong, and they and he was falling out with Cancelo and Rico Lewis was playing there, and they looked really. They were dropping points, and Arsenal were about ten points ahead of them. And then look what happened. And so, yeah. One other thing is last season it was very much always a two-horse race. This year you got Liverpool in there as well. Bear in mind, Liverpool above City as well now. Same yeah, games yeah. played. So it's a at least a free horse race. And, you know, you've sort of got your Villas and your Tottenham scattered about there as well. So that makes a difference. It's been a long time since we've had three genuine title contenders, isn't it? I can't remember the last time that happened. For a long time, it was City and Liverpool. Last year, it was Arsenal and City. What happens when you toss a third one in who's keeping up as well? Because then it's not one big game decides the season when Arsenal go to City or when Liverpool come to City. There's three in the mix. And when they play each other and draw and Liverpool win, for example, it changes the landscape again. So let's just be happy yeah. that we've got a genuine league. The the prem the prem's absolutely class uh, at the minute. And Guardiola's come out and said, and he said to fans, "Look, you had a treble last year. You can't expect that in the next couple seasons there's not going to be bumps in the road. You know, like we we're not we're not going to win the Champs League and the league and the FA Cup every year, which might just be him sort of taking a little bit of sting out of yesterday. But um, yeah, a different dynamic for City now. I think uh, when when we've watched anything like Class of '92 or um, the the Beckham documentary or anything like that. They've always said about that sort of United went and won something, and then it was how would how would a team then once you've won it all like the treble? How do you then go again? What what's the next goal for them? Um, so I think that's what we're just seeing a little bit. Plus the fact that Gundogan, who's left the club, and KDB are out, which are massive points. But Laurie you just touched on Liverpool there. Um, Liverpool four, Fulham three. Yesterday, up until 87 minutes, uh, looked like Liverpool were going to drop some points there, but managed to turn it around 4-3. Just want to touch on, uh, result aside, the standard of goals in that game. Uh, one in particular, the Alexis McAllister one, which I've seen a couple questions on Twitter about, is that a better goal than Garnacho's with the finish he had there? It's definitely not a better goal than Garnacho's because it's much easier to execute, isn't it? Like you... I know he didn't just swing a leg at it, but someone could swing a leg at a ball and, and produce that every now and again. Maybe it sounded a bit harsh, but yes, without Garnacho's, that could be right up there for goal of the season, couldn't it? Very pleasing on the eye um, and maybe a moment that McAllister can kind of push on because, I, well, I keep saying that I haven't been that impressed with him, but they're second in the league and a point or two off top. So they must be doing something right in there. Um, Trent very much at the forefront of everything that was good for Liverpool yesterday. Because I watched that game on match of the day, but it was pretty much the whole game. Because it, for the entirety of the game, Liverpool were through on goal and just missing chance after chance. I think they had, well, I know they had, because I'm looking at the stats in front of me, 26 shots. And it felt like Salah and Nunes on another day could have had a hat-trick each. Um, so at one point, it looked like it was going to be a case of ruining the missed chances and dropping points and the kind of thing that we kind of maybe expected from Liverpool for at the um, beginning of the season to drop away and it hasn't happened. So big three points for them. Just another little stat that I heard earlier. That is the sixth time this season that a team has been winning with five minutes to go and lost. So for me, that is saying a lot about, I know it's calmed down a little bit, but we're getting proper added time now, aren't we? People can't take the sting out of the game as much as they used to by you know, boringly feigning injuries or keepers holding on to the ball for too long or whatever. And it's nice to see that the game is being played out in full. Um, and that doesn't mean to say we just play until the, the favourites win. 
but it's nice that teams are getting a chance to come away with the points rather than it sort of fizzling out because of the dark arts, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. And um, big, big result though, Tomo, for Liverpool there. Uh, I know obviously we're, we're still only sort of a third of the way into the season, but that would have been very much drop points at home to Fulham. Uh, but maybe a big moment for Liverpool after going and getting that point at the Etihad as well, which we just touched on. Yeah, look, and when they went three two down, you you think I was I was sat there thinking, what is going on? Like the well, I was thinking, why have Sky put put West Ham Crystal Palace yeah. on a TV? But that's another story. But yeah, and it showed a lot of grit and determination, and it showed that sort of winning spirit and. Um, Talking about match of the day highlights, Laura, they they picked out Trent, didn't they? And um him specifically, and a couple of his sort of through balls that they highlighted, honestly, it made me think that he could potentially be that centre mid partner to Declan Rice for England. I know he's mm. played there when we've almost played a second string sometimes, and he's looked quite good, but he's just so good on the ball. And we, we we've all highlighted his weaknesses. But his his passing range and just honestly, some of those passes that he was playing through to Nunes yesterday and and all of the rest of them was just unbelievable. And it, it's just it's like different level. There's like levels to professional football, and he's right up there um, with a ball at his feet. Yeah. Um, I wonder, I wonder how serious Allison's injury is because I thought that Kelleher looked a little bit suspect. Um, and he's always looked a little bit suspect whenever he's come in. Um, so that would be a big, I guess, a big um, point for Liverpool if they can get him straight back, Alisson. They've got a cut, they go, they've got a couple of the away, away games to come um, Sheffield United and then Crystal Palace. And then they host Man United, um, which. That's what clocked earmarked him for the United game. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not having goal for that. In- sit of a cigar and a paper yeah yeah um but yeah that, that, like you say it is good to have three teams in the mix this year and it does feel like that that liverpool are back basically it does feel like that now i i actually when they were three two down and it was like the 85th minute i was thinking ahead to today's pod and i was going to do that kind of oh we've mentioned before is it just not quite right for liverpool are they just missing something but uh that, that's a massive result to turn that around. And just apologies um, to Darwin Nunes, who obviously missed some chance yesterday. I brought him into my fantasy team for Ollie Watkins. So that will be why uh, why he didn't score. Um, so, yeah, apologies to him for that. But, yeah, I think off the back of that point at the air he had, and then to, to go and turn that around and win that, as you said, Tomo, they got Sheffield United and Palace, two games they'll be looking to win, and then Man United home, which is just the biggest banker of the season, Liverpool home to Man United every year now. Um, and then they've got Arsenal on the 23rd of December. I think if they get through those those games there, I think that Liverpool-Arsenal game will be a massive game just before Christmas and maybe decide who sits top on Christmas Day, uh, where the stats are often in favour to go on and win the league. So that'll be massive for them. Um, Tommy, we touched on... Uh, earlier Newcastle and United we best go on to it uh, quickly we obviously all watched that game uh, together on Saturday have you ever known a more dominant 1-0 victory for a site no no there's just it was um, just two clubs 
in completely different places. And what annoyed me the most about that game was Eric Ten Hag's post-match um, interview where he sort of bemoans um, having like the build-up of games and having players out injured and and how like these things can happen when that like those sort of things sort of stack up against you. And I'm just sort of sat there and I'm thinking, well, Newcastle have just put in an absolute shift against PSG with the same 11 players, didn't make a sub. Then they 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 start the same 11 players again. They like Their bench is like down to the bare bones, just kids on it, basically. And yeah, look, the, the, the biggest difference for me, and we can sit here and, and sort of say that Hoyland and Rashford and Garnacho and these players aren't doing the business going forward and aren't the quality's not quite there, Bruno Fernandez, all of that sort of stuff. But the reality of being a football fan is you just you just want to see eleven players on the pitch run their fucking socks off and give it their all. And it feels like Manchester United's players for the last ten years have just not done that. And it it was obviously the contrast between Newcastle and Man United was so clear because Newcastle um, and Eddie Howe demands that so much of Newcastle and those players. And um, the two biggest examples of that, I would you have to shout out Tino Livramento and Anthony Gordon. I thought they were both unbelievable. And Livramento, if he carries on like this, it'll be an absolute shoo-in for the England squad just because of his versatility as well. He can play, obviously, right back and left back. He needs to be tied down soon as well, Livramento, because he's got about three or four different nations he can represent. So I think there's a few players that Southgate is going to have to reach out to in the next months ahead of like March internationals. Because if Livramento, I think Italy, Italy is one of the sides he can play for. He, he might be looking. I, was going to say, look, I thought he was Italian. Take him to the take he's him played, to the Euro. Yeah, but he's played at, at England under twenty. He's played at England youth level at every level. So, um, but I, I also I think he can play for Portugal as well. Which, um, yeah, but I, I, I think he'll play for England. Look, I think Gareth, you're right. Gareth Southgate will be on the phone, and he'll be, he'll be um, earmarking him for because, because Carl Walker's what thirty four now, so and I know we're really strong in the right back area, but and and Tino's he seems to be just as good a left back as he is a right back, and Luke Shaw yeah. and Ben Chilwell are our best left backs are always injured, so that space is. It's there really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea that Tino Livramento was English. Hundred percent. I think he should be in the England squad. And every time we watch Livramento as well, he's just as impressive for me, like going forward, as he is defensively. He's such a good football player, um, and definitely the kind of player we want playing for England. You've just picked out Gordon and Livramento there. Two things. One thing about those two players is they're both new Eddie Howe signings. Do you know what I mean? Another great thing that he's done with this sort of Saudi Arabian takeover at the club. We've talked about not buying your Rubinos before and going down that avenue. He's picked up very, very astute signings that are obviously buying into what he wants to do and it's paying off on the pitch. And that's another area where United and Newcastle are really far apart. But one quick thing I'll ask you two boys as United fans is Jamie Carragher said something yesterday. He said that when you're a local player, for a club, you've got much more responsibility to do more, maybe to show more, and maybe do all those things that you're not. You just spoke about there, where you feel like your team hasn't been running for the badge for the last ten years. 
him and Gerard had to do it at Liverpool. He said, okay, Skulls and um, Neville and people like that. It was pretty much rainbows and butterflies when they were at United, so maybe didn't um, come to the fort. But do you blame Rashford for not being as engaged? He, he actually said the biggest criticism I could make of Marcus Rashford is he's reminded me of Anthony Martial. Um, which is a huge load of crap thrown at Anthony Martial, but it's also a, a spit True. in the face to Marcus Rashford, who he's basically called out for not giving a shit. What do you think about that? Uh, but I actually think um, it's it's starting to look like it, it's a massive example of how poorly run Manchester United Football Club is. Like, last season was was the ano- anomaly in Rashford's performances. He's He's been there or thereabouts but he had a couple of bad seasons before last season, got himself fit and then went on an unbelievable run. And we can pretty much say that he was our best player and he got us out of a lot of shit. Yeah, but this season, he's reverted back to type. And the foresight for Manchester United Football Club as like the, the directors or whoever's in charge of the contracts, they shouldn't be held at gunpoint. Like They shouldn't be held to ransom by Rashford and his brother saying pay me 350 grand a week or I'll leave. Like if I was, if it was me, a director, I'd be like, okay, well, you haven't done enough to be, to earn the same as Kevin De Bruyne. Do you know what I mean? You've had a a world-class six months, but that doesn't mean you're at that level. Um, We needed to sign him on a new deal in the, in the summer. He was unbelievable last year and he then had one year left on his deal. And you start hearing, I know sometimes you know, his team might be leaking this, but you start seeing teams like Man City linked with Rashford and things like that. United never, ever going to do that. We've had it with Rooney before where that was he was going to go to City, well documented. The Ronaldo one where he was going to go to City, United never going to let Rashford not t- sign a new deal. And as soon as then Man United have got their cards on the table where they're relying on Rashford like we were last year, you pay him what you want. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. So that is poor, that is poor business. If you look at how good City are, right... They don't mind getting rid of a player if they don't want to be there. Like they don't mind if Leroy Sané wants to go back to Bar- like go back to Germany. Okay, no problem. Go, Jao Cancelo. Okay, go. But I know none of these. I know. I know it's different because Rashford's a um, he's a Manchester boy. He's a United fan and all the rest of it. But what about should- Foden then, Tomo? Foden was-, was exactly that with City, the local boy, and apparently there was a, an incident where he were incident where he wasn't getting pl- played and. Uh, Pep had a dig at him in front of people and Foden went off at him, said that was unacceptable. And then Pep apologised in front of him and the players. I think there's something in being a local academy lad, which the fans love. And we did love Rashford last season. And people are starting to get pissed off of him now. And and then clubs curtail into their demands in contracts and things like that. I don't think City, City would get rid of Foden. No, but look, that, that's, that obviously is a, the, the context of that situation... It's key, isn't it? I'm sure if Guardiola is coming out and apologising, then clearly he was in the wrong in that situation. But my point is this. It's like over the last 10 years, United have have protected these players so much. Like you, like in 2018, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer gave Chris Smalling and Phil Jones a new a four-year contract. And it's like, what what are the reasons why you're giving these people like new contracts? It's like you're you're afraid that they're going to go somewhere else and be good. It's like if Rashford do- doesn't want to stay unless he gets paid three hundred and fifty grand a week, which by the way is the same amount as Kevin De Bruyne, who's the best player in the world or was. Do you know what I mean? It's like 
okay, no Rashford, you're on 250 grand a week now. We'll give you say 275, 300. But if you don't want to, if you don't want to sign on for that, go. Like, yeah. but I, I guess look, th- that this contract situation is coming away from from the performance and his performances this season. The, the long and short of it is, is I don't, I don't mind a player playing poorly. What I do mind is a player lacking the effort. And what you saw on Saturday was a player who not only is playing poorly when he gets the ball, when he's obviously lacking confidence, that can happen. But when he's not got the ball, it's like, do you know what I mean? He's he's letting Livermento run off him. He's just, and he's shrugging his shoulders. And, and I know you shouldn't read too much into body language, but his body language is absolutely shocking. And it's like, it's hard to back a player when those are the type of things that are happening. Yeah. Laurie, too, because I'm so bored of talking about Man United. I think Gary Neville said the same now, and he's absolutely bored of watching them and talking about him, and that's just, like, uh, the worst place to be as a fan. Yes, I do think being homegrown and a kind of club academy boy, there'll be more onus on you to be trying hard. I do think that Rashford just isn't having Ten Hag. I think he's probably done that with other managers as well, but he's quite pally with Sancho and stuff like that, isn't he? and it just feels like they're lo- he's losing the dressing room a bit anyway. So I do think that there's a bit of that from Rashford. But I do think that if you're an academy player who's grown up at the club, you should therefore have that kind of like club in your heart. You've not just signed from another club and therefore there would be onus on you to to try harder. That would be my point. Thank you, Beth. Right, moving on from United. Uh, Tomo, Arsenal 2, Wolves 1. I think Laurie made the point earlier that they've kind of flipped uh, round from, from last year and they're kind of more grinding out the wins now. Um, another important three points for Arsenal there. Yeah, but one one that was fully expected. Not obviously a little bit of squeaky bum time at the end when Cunha scores, but um all in all, pretty comfortable. Um not really a lot of sort of analysis on that game, to be honest, other than I do agree with Loro. I do think Arsenal look even though they haven't been attacking free-flowing at their creative best, Saka, Gabriel Jesus and Martinelli, apart from maybe the last couple of games, haven't been quite at the races, I would say, this season. But they they almost look as good at getting the results, which, if I was an Arsenal fan, I would find that um, very encouraging because, as we've, as we've spoke about, that sort of run of form or when they get getting all their goals, I think it's only around the corner. Um, so yeah, another good result and top of the league. You can't complain if you're an Arsenal fan, Jesus. Not, not as free flowing, but still the, um, the Odegaard goal was unbelievable. Just like one touch play and stuff like that. They're like goals that only Arsenal score, aren't they? Like, you know, like the famous Jack Wiltshire one and they've got other instances of like goals they score. It's just such an Arsenal goal that just one touch move in free-flowing and yeah great result for them another big result Laurie Burnley 5 Sheffield United nil um, obviously we spoke about Vincent Company being desperate for a win got a massive win there which would be big for them but Sheffield United is it confirmed now manager gone or on the cusp of going I think he's as good as isn't it yeah. um, and I think you could just sort of again I've only watched the highlights of this game but it, it looked proper like it was almost like the players knew that at the weekend and they were like nah 
down tools almost. It was just ridiculous. You can't let a team of Burnley's calibre... It was like a championship game, obviously. We've got two of the worst sides that have been in the Prem in a while playing each other. But you'd expect that to be a game that Sheffield United went into a bit like Burnley actually did, thinking, right, if we get three points here, maybe we were only two behind Everton or whatever. But they just seemed to lay down and um, allow Burnley the run of the park. And I know that they were the away side, but losing 5-0 to a team that, um, quite frankly, have looked hopeless all season, obviously is the final nail in a coffin. And you feel for Paul Heckenbottom, but you know maybe there's other factors at play there. And I think there was a little bit of a disconnect between the chairman or the owners and himself, I think he said something along the lines of they've chosen money over football. I'm not quite sure what he meant by that, but maybe um, some of their bigger name players like Sander Berger leaving to go to Burnley in the summer and things like that he wasn't happy with. And if that's the case, it's actually quite surprising it's taken till December for them to to bite the bullet. But um, I think the favourites coming now for them is Chris Wilder. So full circle job for them. Yeah, well, I was just going to say that, Tomo. Is that is that the, the word on... On social media as well, Wilder back in. Yeah, he's the he's the favourite to um to come in, and actually that story sort of hit the gossip columns back in September, didn't it? So mm. I, I am pretty surprised it's taken this long. Um, funnily enough, this is obviously it's the first manager who's going to get sacked in a prem. This time last year, seven managers had already been sacked. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, but yeah, I I I feel a bit. I feel like he's had a bit of a tough gig. Like at the end of the day, when you sell and die and Berg um, and Sander Berger, which were their two pretty, pretty best players last year on the eve of the season and don't really replace them, then you're struggling. You're going into a Premier League season almost with a weaker squad than you did when you were in the championship. So it was, it was always going to be a sort of hiding to nothing for them, but they have, they have been particularly poor really, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. I, I do have to say that I, I quite often I don't like seeing managers get sacked, but fourteen games in, five points, minus twenty-eight goal difference. There comes a time when something has to change, even if it's just the fact that it needs freshening up because these players don't seem to be responding anymore, do they? And I actually think it's an all right job to take because they're only four points off Luton, who are above the line at the moment. Do you know what I mean? So if someone can come in, you can't do any worse. Someone could come in there. Get the rub of the green left, right, and centre, and be that one out of those sort of four or five teams that could stay up, and really create a little bit of a legacy for himself at the club and in Premier League management. A little bit like what Gary O'Neill did at Bournemouth last season after Scott Parker left. Um, I see similarities in that, albeit Sheffield United don't seem to want to spend the money. But four points adrift, there have been bigger gaps to overcome at this stage of the season. Um, but if they're going for Chris Wilder. You kind of know what you're going to get from him, don't you? Yeah, I think importantly, some of that Sheffield United squad seems to have been there years and years, don't they? Like Wilder will probably inherit half the lads that he had before. Yeah. I think he used to play a back three, didn't he, with like wing backs and that sort of thing. He'd probably slot straight back into his old formation, have his same kind of leaders in the dressing room, and he might be able to galvanize them. So we'll obviously come on to the the midweek fixtures in a minute, probably not enough time for him to come in and implement anything or get the job with them. But I think they've uh, they've host Liverpool midweek so they might be looking for a uh, new manager bounce there with that one but um, we'll come on to that in a bit just to run through the other results from the the Prem guys so Bournemouth 2 Aston Villa 2 uh, Ollie Watkins again goal and assist uh, out my fantasy team Chelsea 3 Brighton 2 
Everton got an important result, 1-0 at Forest. Uh, Brentford beat Luton 3-1 and West Ham won, Crystal Palace won, uh, which unfortunately was on Super Sunday yesterday while all the other goals were flying in in the Prem. Start to look ahead to the midweek fixtures. I think the, the biggest looking fixture, Aston Villa versus Man City. Um, we obviously know what Villa's home form's like, Loro. They go at sides as well, which again, we spoke about this little bit of a blueprint about getting at City and then conceding goals. Do you think Villa can get something there? Yeah, for sure. I think that's one of the, trying to think the best way to word this, the most times I've ever given a team a proper chance pre-kickoff against Manchester City. Because another thing is, Rodri's out again, isn't he? Now, if we think back a month or so, they had a run of four or five games, I think, where they didn't win a game. And it coincided with him being out. And we talk about the characters and the leaders in that team and the the people in the, in the 11 that are going to stop that switching off that cost them a, a goal or two against Tottenham yesterday and make sure they're at it for longer portions of the game, well, he's the best one, isn't he? He's everything about everything that's good about Man City. If you took him out the whole season, for me, they wouldn't be favourites for the league. That's how important he is. So couple that with the fact they're going to Aston Villa, a place where the fans haven't seen their team do anything but win since April, I think, in the Premier League, it becomes a really, really difficult place to go. So we talk about City's chances of winning the league this year. Tomorrow night will be a really good measure as to where they are with that. Because I actually can see Villa, I don't don't even think it's that big a shout to say that I think Villa will get something. But if City were to get something with no Rodri, that would be a big, big statement win, in my opinion. Three and a half to one as well, Laura, at home. Seven to two against Man City for Wednesday. Yeah, fantastic. I really like it. I'm not sure they know that Rodri's out, to be honest with you. I actually thought that we might look at that and see City above evens um, for the first time probably in about four years because it doesn't get much more difficult than that at the moment going to Aston Villa, does it? And although they dropped points against Bournemouth yesterday and they've shown that they can do that on the road, at home they are almost inevitable. And they win every single game. And they have got a team... You talk about... Some teams have got better attacking players. Some teams have got... Villa haven't got the best player in the position, uh, the best player in the the league in any position, but they've got really good players in every position. Do you know what I mean? They just look solid all over the pitch. And when they need to change it, they can bring really good players on off the bench as well. So, yeah, I mean, I'll be watching that game tomorrow and fully hoping that Aston Villa can make another dent in the already vulnerable title defence of Manchester City. Just quickly on anyone who wants to bet on that game, I've just had a look at the head-to-heads and um, Aston Villa haven't beaten Man City since 2013. Um, It's been 15 games. They've lost 13 of them and drew two. So that might be a reason why those odds are so like that because obviously they've got a terrible record against City. So now we're bringing in the law of averages into it. That again, I've said this before. That makes me think the Villa will win because it's got to stop. At, it's got a that run's got to stop at some point. And tomorrow they play each other when Villa have won 14, 15 games in a row at home, and Rodri's out. So all of the stars, in my opinion, are aligning to suggest an Aston Villa result. So let's go with it and encourage every one of our listeners to bet responsibly, but bet on Aston Villa tomorrow night, Wednesday night. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Grealish out as well. Not necessarily saying he would have started, but there is a bit of rotation between him and Doku, but he picked up a silly little petulant booking uh, and is out of that one as well. So I imagine 
I think Pep strikes me as a manager as well, where bookings like that, where you kick the ball away and then miss a big game against Villa, he'll be like proper pissed off with Grealish for that and punish yeah, he, like the game after after that. Yeah, he won't start until like 2028 now, will he? He'll just play League <laughs> Cup games. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but surely, surely got to be worth a look at Villa at 7-2. But as Tomo says, the form is in the book for City there. Tomo, move on to Man United. I just said I'm sick about speaking about them, but Man United versus Chelsea. I think most depressing thing about this fixture is normally in years gone by, it's been a bit of a big fixture for like top of the table, certainly top four, having a sway on sort of uh, big kind of results for Champions League places and titles, as I've said. Now feels a bit just like a bit of a mid-table battle between two sides who could do of a win to keep the media at bay uh do you think man united can kind of regalvanize himself and beat chelsea and do you think it's must win for ten hag no because only because of the whole ownership thing hanging over it so i don't think any change there will happen until that happens until that ownership switch or when sir jim ratcliffe comes in so yeah i don't don't i wouldn't worry about his job but it's a difficult game to predict because the t- both teams are so well. Man United have basically been terrible all year, all season, and Chelsea are are very hit and miss, even in games. Like their youngsters seem to be doing really well for ten minutes, and then stupidly, Reese James gets sent off, or stupidly, Conor Gallagher gets sent off. So it's re- they're really hard to predict Chelsea. But like th- in this fixture last year, Man United won four one. Obviously, hoping for the same. Bruno Fernandes scored, Rashford scored, Anthony Martial scored last year. So, yeah, look, it, it can't be... You'd like to think there's some sort of reaction to that game because not only I know it was only 1-0 and Newcastle are a very good team, but it was an embarrassing in 1-0 defeat and, and an embarrassing performance. Um, so, you'd like to think there'd be some sort of reaction. Um, so... God, it's it's a tough one to call. I'm just going to go draw. I think the one thing I'd say on Chelsea is we we didn't analyse the um the Brighton game there too much, but I think Brighton had a late penalty shout turned down, and I think that um Brighton fans that I've seen on on social media have said that it was a a, a robbery there that happened at Chelsea. So what seemed like a really good victory for Chelsea there against Brighton, and it is it's three points. Uh, maybe massed over another pretty average performance for them. So I think that Man United uh, might win that. Hopefully Cole Palmer's still injured. Uh, and I think that James is obviously suspended still. So I'm going to go for United win there. But I did go for United to beat Newcastle, uh, which was a disastrous shout in the end, wasn't it? Chelsea are favourites, by the way, at Old Trafford. Are they really? Yeah, only slight, but they are, which surprised me. I actually thought, I mean, I agree. I think it'll be a draw. I think it's the you know, the game of the boring, average, horrible teams in the Prem. But having seven to four at home for Man United, nearly two to one, I think is quite generous, to be honest. Them and Villa in a double, anyone? Uh, Lauro, Luton at home to Arsenal. Obviously seen Luton pick up uh, points at home, uh, probably most famously against Liverpool, where they nearly won it. Uh, but do you think Arsenal just going to extend their lead at the top with City potentially dropping some points? Yes. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think we don't need to patronize no. anyone telling them how Arsenal are going to beat Luton, do we? I mean, if, if anyone can't see that, then um, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. So, yeah, I, I'd go four or five nil to Arsenal. Good, you know, Rob Evans doing a fine job at the moment at Luton, but they're not gonna, you know, seen stranger results. But my prediction is an Arsenal win, believe it or not. Yeah, Mystic Meg, good shout. 
Uh, Sheffield United versus Liverpool, Tomo, just touched on that new manager bounce. Uh, Heckenbottom might actually not be sacked yet, so I doubt he'll be in. But uh, if Arsenal do go on to beat Luton as predicted, then Liverpool will be looking to keep the pace there as well. Um, anything for Sheffield United in that game? No, Liverpool win. I don't, any, yeah, I what, don't want to state the any, obvious. Any stats well, for Sheffield United for me? No, no, Liverpool are going to win. But just on that one, if I was the board... I wouldn't want the new manager bounce. They've got Liverpool tomorrow and then they've got Brentford at the weekend. I know Brentford is still a hard game, but you've got much more chance, haven't you, against Brentford. So I'd try and save that manager bounce. Get tomorrow out of the way. Let Heckenbottom take the 8-0 loss. Say goodbye. Bring in your new manager Thursday. Do you know what I mean? And then let him have a go at Brentford. That's what I would do in that situation. Yeah, I, if Heckenbottom has left, there'll be some poor first-team fitness coach in there who's going to have the job for, like, one day tomorrow to take on Liverpool, get spun. Well, it's, yeah, it's Hecky and Stuart McCool. So I expect Stuart's going to be uh, <laughs> lined up for against Liverpool tomorrow. Oh, poor bloke. Right, move on for that one as well then. Uh, Tomo, bring you in on this one then. Everton versus Newcastle. One thing I'd say with Newcastle, they've obviously got that point in PSG looked good against Man United, but it seems like this season with Newcastle, every time they've had a little, little run of results, there's been a little bump in the road then, hasn't there? And then the pod suddenly turned a bit of, is Eddie Howe doing the job that the owners want of him? I look at that fixture away at Everton, who obviously played well in defeat against Man United, got a victory against Forest, and Newcastle's very thin squad, getting even thinner with Nick Pope now injured, is going to have to tire at some stage. So what I'm trying to say is, I think Everton will win that, and would you be supportive of that? Um, nah, I'll probably say it's. I'll probably say it's a draw. I don't. Everton aren't that good at home, are they? For some reason, uh, they can finish their dinner at home. I don't know whether it's the crowd get on top a little bit and it, it turns a little bit negative, but um. And just Newcastle, I know what you mean though. That like it does feel like that because they basically got a bare eleven. Like you got Lewis Miley, seventeen years old, and playing really well, by the way. But playing every single week, he played at Chelsea, PSG, Man United, and now he's going to play at Everton away. Some some run for a seventeen-year-old centre mid, didn't it? Do you know what I mean? But yeah, I can't. I can't see. I can't see Everton winning that, to be honest. Newcastle are very impressive, mate. Very impressive. I don't know if we're reading a bit too much into... Obviously, you want your best your best team on the pitch, but if you had a, if you had your everyone available, one of the best things about teams in the past has been the continuity of the same 11 starting week in, week out, and you want that continuity, and you only change something if, it, if you have to. Okay, you rotate the cup games and stuff. But Newcastle are playing well with this 11, even though it's not their first choice. Do you know what I mean? So just because, you know, every other team are having to play a couple of games a week at the moment as well. Every Premier League team is playing twice this week. They're going to get one of the longest rests because they're going to play on Thursday. But you talk about Everton not being very good at home. I think most of their points have been away, like you said. I don't know the stats on this, but I feel like Newcastle must have been a lot better at home because we talk about St. James's Park all the week. So it's a little bit of a, a battle there to see who can come out on top and maybe... Um, you know, they're less fancy territories, if you like. But I always say with Everton, Calvert-Lewin is key. And I know he didn't play at the weekend and they won. Um, but at home, under the lights against Newcastle, if he can be there, I think 2-1 to one is very generous for them at home, I have to say. I, I think the point on the 
the starting eleven and continuity for Newcastle is right is that they are having to play ninety minutes in PSG against Man United. The only subs they made was Dubravka coming on for Nick Pope and Matt Ritchie came on for Anthony Gordon. Beyond that, not too much more to come off the bench. Paul Dummett, Lewis Hall, Kraft, Murphy. Um, they've still got Harvey Barnes, Sven Botman, Dan Byrne. Longstaff, Jacob Murphy, Tanali, obviously suspended, Joe Willett, Callum Wilson, all off. They'd be rotated or at least you'd be bringing subs on on the hour mark and getting them 30 minutes in the tank and that sort of thing. So it's like, will this fitness eventually drop off? And it's like they lose a player every week now, don't they? It's like they yeah. one, one more player falls foul every week. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. I just, in this circumstance, it was what, PSG Wednesday... United Saturday night and then Thursday for the midweek game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're getting more rest than everyone else. I'm just not sure it'll be this one where that comes to the fore. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being harsh on professional footballers um, and what we should expect from them, but I think they should be fine to go at that. Of course, they'd want all their best players. If you could bring back Tanali and Wilson and everyone like that, they'd all be playing. Um, I just don't think we want to sort of set up an excuse for Newcastle already. They've shown they just beat Man United at the weekend. They almost beat PSG away last week. They're more than capable of going to Everton and winning that game. And Eddie Howe won't be, um, you know, pandering to any suggestions that um, they're too tired or anything like that. I don't think he's he's probably more than earned the right to have that excuse in his locker when they do come unstuck. But no, they need to be going to Everton thinking we need to win this because they do need to um, be beating teams like Everton if they want to retain Champions League football. Yeah, and they. Not to jump too um, far ahead, and we'll, we'll obviously preview this on Thursday, but they then, next Sunday at half four, go to Spurs, which is a humdinger of a game uh, for it. But, you know, could more than likely drop some points at, at Tottenham, you say, if they wanted to keep pace with the top four, or as Tomo's coefficients bit was last week, hopefully top five if the teams do well in Europe, including Newcastle, they need to be beating Everton, as you say. Just quickly run through the other fixtures, boys. So Tottenham host West Ham. So that that looks like that would be a good game. Brighton versus Brentford. Palace host Bournemouth. Fulham host Forest. And Wolves host Burnley. Where obviously Vinnie Company will be looking to go back-to-back victories there. So uh, we'll be back on Thursday um, where we'll obviously talk through the, uh, the results from the Tuesday and Wednesday games as well. Move on to the championship, boys. So Tomo, start with the Premier Pod Cup in Southampton at it again. Uh, beat Cardiff 2-0. Yeah, yeah, and um, Adam Armstrong spoke. We spoke a lot about him, haven't we? And about him potentially being the new captain of the not so good enough for the Premier League club, but unbelievable at the Championship level. And he seems to sort of be doing that. I mean, I think what was it his first goal was the left-footed curler was was unbelievable. It was an unbelievable finish, and and then the next. Um, he got another so that's 12 goals in a championship this season for him. It was just Southampton played really well again. It was a completely dominant display. And actually, if you're Russell Martin, I think he mentioned this in his post-match presser, it's almost disappointing that they didn't go on and win the game more comfortably. Um, but 11, 11 unbeaten now for them. Still, they're keeping up with Leeds, who won again. And um, they've got a little bit of a gap now to West Brom, who obviously um, conceded last minute against Leicester. So, encouraging signs for Russell Martin's team. And obviously, with, with Adam Armstrong up front, there's there's always going to be goals in that team, isn't there? And they're 
I think if as a manager, if your biggest worry is that you should be going on and beating Cardiff more than 2 0 uh, in an 11 game unbeaten streak, then you're in a good place, aren't you, than where he was potentially a few months ago. You did just touch on it there, Tomo. West Brom uh, conceding late to lose against Leicester. Loro, uh, West Brom equalised in the 89th minute. And I imagine as a Leeds fan, you thought, right, brilliant, a little bit more ground that we can get on Leicester. But Leicester popped up in the 94th minute to go on and, and win that game. Yeah, and I was gutted with that because, like you say, it would have been nice to claw some more points back on, on Leicester. But what I loved about that was, I don't know if you've seen Harry Winks's goal that won it for Leicester, but... It was literally Leicester went through, and they had the. There was like two, two of them. There was no defenders in sight, and there was two of them on the keeper. One of them squared it to Winks, and he scored, which made me think that West Brom were obviously going for the win, which I like to see. At least they weren't settling for the point. They obviously got that late goal. The Hawthorns went up, and I wasn't watching the game, but judging by the goal they, they conceded, the only excuse you can have for that is if you were piling bodies forward trying to win it. And that's what I want to see in football. And championship is very, very good and very entertaining. And you know, we're lucky to have a league like that that we can watch, um, as well as the Premier League every week. Well done to Carlos Corbran and West Brom for trying to get all three and not settling for a draw, which you could probably have forgiven them for against a side like Leicester. But yeah, that is gutting because they just keep winning, don't they? Yeah, yeah they do. Another side that uh, maintain the pace, Tomo Ipswich to Coventry one. And I think the kind of standout moment from that game that's gone a bit viral is uh, Wes Burns has got. Yeah, Puskus 2024 um, nominee, I, I think so. Honestly, they just they just keep impressing, don't they? And we, we spoke, they they lost a couple a couple games back and we spoke about how important it was to bounce back from that. And um, they've done it in impressive style. And I implore anyone who's listening to this podcast who hasn't seen Wes Burns' goal to go on to pyramid podcast twitter page and have a look because it's unbelievable and it's great football and it's it's just special basically ipswich turned into prime man city and and um is it it's sort of outside of the foot like ricardo yeah ricardo quesma style like outside of the boot travella and it's and it's curled so much it looks like it's going five yards wide when he when he when he um it comes off his um his foot and then it curls top bins it's an unbelievable goal and yeah Ipswich well we spoke a lot we spoke um in last week's pod we said they were the real real deal obviously they continue that um with that win it it was a different angle to what this goal was hit at but the way that it curls back in and into that top corner reminded me a bit of do you remember Sen scored a goal where it's sort of like the fans start putting their arms up in the crowd because it looks like it's going to hit them quite sort of wide of the post and it just sort of like curls the, the top corner that's the arsenal one is it yeah yeah but I know it's a different angle to that, but the way that it's kind of looking really late that it's going wide of the target and just sort of curls up into that top corner, unbelievable goal that. Loro, uh, obviously Leeds, Leeds won again uh, against Middlesbrough, 3-2. Uh, disappointed that obviously Leicester and Ipswich didn't drop points, but 3-2 up at half-time, I believe, and finished that way. Yeah, it was very similar to the game against Swansea in the week. We went 1-0 down in the first couple of minutes, and then before you knew it, we were li- we were leading. So, um, look, I think this is the Leeds' best home run of home form in, I might have got this completely wrong, but it's, I think it was like 50 years or something stupid like that. So, let's just be happy that we keep winning. And Leeds are 38 points from 19. That's two points a game. 
generally a rule of thumb in football is if you get two points a game, you'll go up. So, what? firstly, that says I'm happy we're on track. Secondly, it says well done to Leicester, but most definitely well done to Ipswich because they are having the absolute season of their lives. Um, and for Leeds, it was a similar set of circumstances as to what I said the other day. James Somerville and Piro this time. It's, it's, those, it's those three or... Um, who hasn't scored? Or Rutter, isn't it? Every week, it's it's those four either assisting or scoring. Um, all of them are in... I think James, Somerville and Piro are all in the top 10 scorers in the league or near enough as well. So, great to see um, good, attractive attacking football back at Ellen Road. And, um, yeah, I mean, we've conceded a few goals lately, so it'd be nice to shore up at the back a little bit, but I'm happy. Yeah, and Tommy, you touched on Southampton um, winning and, and a bit of a, a gap then to the teams below, and there were drop points for Hull, Blackburn, Preston and Sunderland there. So there is a bit of a gap now to those top four teams. I guess now for Southampton and Leeds, it's just about the taking advantage of any drop points from Ipswich and Leicester, which, you know, to be fair to them, they have done over the last couple of weeks where they have been, but uh, they're going to need a few more, more slip-ups there for it. So, but Championship obviously maintains its... Uh, it's quite level of competition and, you know, results can be different on a weekly basis there. Uh, only one fixture chaps speak about in League One. So we spoke uh, about Northampton and Portsmouth and Portsmouth could go top again if they won. They won 3-0 uh, there against Northampton. So they returned to the top. Obviously, I think other teams in FA Cup action will have the chance to, with the game in hand there, to, to go back above them. But important win there for Portsmouth, did what they needed to do. And then just on the FA Cup, so a few results to look at. Uh, start with Notts County Shrewsbury. Tomo, did you post on either football tweet or on Pyramid Podcast the defensive mistakes that Notts County made in that game against Shrewsbury? Yeah, the three. Was it three? Yeah, yeah. all three absolute howlers. Mate, he scored a hat trick. Yeah, it looked like um, obviously alleged match fixing. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was bad, but obviously good social media content. Yeah, indeed. And decent result there for Shrewsbury. And I think, Laurie, that was who uh, will come on to Yeovil in a bit. But that that win for them, Shrewsbury, meant that they were going to have the winner of Wrexham Yeovil, wasn't it? Correct, yeah. One, two. Uh, Laurie, I want to bring you on in a team that are in Yeovil's league. And we didn't realise we were doing quite as well in the league as they are. Maidstone, they beat Barrow 2-1 in the FA Cup to stay in there. Um, yeah. Big, big win for them, that. And obviously, decent money. Uh, tie for them but I don't think any of the non-league teams and I'll go through a couple more in a minute uh, got those uh, greater deal did you see the post I sent to you about Jeff Stelling he's obviously started yeah. some talk sport about seeding part of the draw for non-league teams in Rome yeah. thoughts on that yeah I, I don't know it, on one hand I, I, I glanced here I guess what he was saying was make it easier for small the small teams to get the big teams in round three by seeding it. So Arsenal could get Maidstone rather than play Liverpool. Is that what he was saying, basically? Yeah, so he's basically saying because teams like Maidstone and Yeovil and teams like that have gone through five or six games to get there, their reward for yeah. championship and Premier League teams should be that they are seeded into a pot where their teams are drawn out first. And then you then pull the other teams, which could be an Arsenal, it could be a Man United. It might be that you still get just get a League One team because, but you get more of a chance of it. And then afterwards, yeah. you just do the remaining teams and you can then still get an Arsenal-Liverpool. But his point is, everyone says, oh, Arsenal-Liverpool, massive FA Cup tie. Do you actually want to see that in the FA Cup third round where people play their stiffs and you see it in no. the league? 
No, I don't. And I, 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 I sort of part of me really does agree with that. And I'd like to see it. And we'd get a lot more big days out or at home for the smaller clubs. But you have got to remember it's a competition. You should want to go through. So if you're in the third round, Maidstone might not have got, I don't know who they got, but say they didn't get Arsenal, they probably could have quite just as easily got another National League side and have a good chance of going through to the fourth round. Do you know what I mean? You should still want to progress. And it's funny, isn't it? We get to the third round of the FA Cup and everyone wants the biggest team possible. Really, you should want the smallest team possible to give yourself a chance of continuing in the Cup. Um, but I suppose for the smaller teams, it, it, it like you say, they've already played five games the work has been done and your reward should be a big day at a big club. So, yeah, I agree with that, Jeff. Um, I would do that for the third round, but no further after that. I just don't think that the prize money for actual winning the round is good enough for you to want to go through to the top four over getting a, a big team. So, like, if yeah, they got yeah. Arsenal as an example, that's on TV on a Friday night, a Saturday night, you know, a Sunday lunchtime. BBC pay big TV rights for it. Any FA Cup game in any stage of the um, of the competition, the away team gets half the gate. So if Maidstone went and got Arsenal away and Arsenal had 40,000 people, they'd get 20,000 people's worth of tickets, yeah. Maidstone. So that's why you need that big draw. Yeah, but you could win in the third round and get the big draw in the fourth. Yo yeah, got Man United a couple of years ago. I know we played Man United twice, actually, the last 10 years. But a cup, the most recent one was actually the fourth round. We played, we were in like League Two, for instance. I think we played Bradford in the third round and won. Do you know what I mean? They're only the league above us. And then yeah. you go to the fourth round and you've got double the chance of getting it and you've gone further. So, listen, there's an argument both ways. I think it's a good idea, to be honest with you. But just you touch on Maidstone. Um, if anyone of the hierarchy of Yeovil Town are listening, they've got a striker called Levi Amanchi, who is the top scorer by a mile in our league in the National League South. Um, I haven't looked at who scored for them at the weekend. It wouldn't surprise me if he was in the goals. I would really like Yeovil Town to, uh, Yeovil Town to sign him because he looks like a very good striker. And I know I'm probably going off the stats a bit there, but he did score at Hewish Park and he's making a little bit of a name for himself now in the National League South. What was the result against Maidstone, Loro, for Yeovil? We drew one all at home to Maidstone. Um, we're unbeaten at home this season and... I think we've only drawn twice. One of them was Maidstone. They did come down with us from the National League last season, so we thought they'd be quite good. But, um, yeah, they're, they're probably one of the informed teams in the league. Well, they definitely are. And probably our closest challengers. We thought it'd be Torquay. Looks like it's Maidstone. Just a couple of FA Cup, other FA Cup games to run through. Uh, Non-league sides. Eastley beat Reading 2-1. Um they have got Newport or Barnet in the next round. It's probably another winnable tie for them that then you can start, as touched on, look ahead to that fourth round and uh, hopefully a glamorous tie. And Chesterfield beat Leighton Orient as well. Maybe not that big of a surprise, actually, considering how well Chesterfield are doing in the National League. Uh, they go away to Watford in the next round. Um, and then finally, Wrexham versus Yeovil. So, Laura was obviously on ITVX yesterday. Not the result that uh, we were hoping for from a Yeovil point of view, but just a bit of thoughts on the game and Yeovil's performance. Yeah, um, mixed really, because I mean, there's a lot of positivity at the Yeovil camp about yesterday. We lost the game 3-0, um, but for large portions of the game, particularly the second half, we matched Wrexham when we were probably the better team. But we set up with a completely different shape. We played a back five flat and then three in midfield and then two up front. And it just felt like if we had a little bit more belief from the start of the game, like we did in the second half, we might have given them more to think about rather than, I mean, 3-0 flat at Wrexham, but a, quite a comfortable afternoon. 
So it's a shame that we couldn't... I understand you can't go to Wrexham and just play your normal expansive football that we do in the league because you have to respect their quality. But it just sort of felt like we waited until we went a couple goals down to then start thinking, well, we will play now. And second half, we were fantastic. Kept the ball well. We created some chances. Jordan Young had a brilliant free kick off the post. Um, Murphy almost got in a couple of times. It, we sort of huffed and puffed and it wasn't really our day. We didn't make fools out of ourselves. I'm quite happy to be at the cup because, as you alluded to earlier, the third round game um, would have been Shrewsbury. So, you know, not exactly missing out on much there. And, yeah, we can concentrate on the league. But I just, I felt like we made, I don't mind putting an extra midfielder in, but we could have just kept with a back four and maybe took one attacker out rather than taking out the whole structure. But, listen, I'm not Mark Cooper and I'm certainly not going to tell him, start telling him how to do his job because he's been fantastic this season. And, look, at the end of the day, we went to Wrexham when we gave him a game. And we got a good tweet from Brian Reynolds after the match as well who said that, obviously, it wasn't our day, but he loves seeing us do well in our league. And that kind of comes from... Um, the game in the league last season, we actually got relegated at Wrexham and he said some nice words at the time there. So yeah, our mate, our mate Ryan um, is still looking out for the green and whites and we can just fully concentrate on National League self-business now. Indeed. And just to look ahead to that, uh, Wednesday night, they go, I guess, a bit of a derby game really against uh, Bath. Oh, very much a derby game, isn't it? Same postcode, BA. And we've sold out our 1100 allocation i think i think i think in fact the game is sold out they've announced that today so big game and although we've sort of made a good account of ourselves at the weekend we haven't won now in a few weeks so we need to get back to it and no better place than a local derby against a team that is in the playoffs i mean bath were breathing right down our necks at one point i think they've fallen off a little bit just looking at the league now they're in sixth place so i mean they're a good nine points behind us but if we can win that one and just start to, our lead's been cut to five in the meantime since we've been in cup action. Just start to create that lead again and go again, um, create some more momentum and go into the festive period, which is also always lots of games, um, you know, winning football matches again, because it's been a sticky run of form for the last three or four, but it was always going to come. Yeah, indeed. But yeah, hopefully get all three uh, at Bath and then if say can go into that festive period I imagine we'll have some other derby games won't we like to tournaments probably Bath at home that sort of thing so yeah, yeah. maintain our lead at the top there um, just if you uh, final bit going back to the FA Cup but if you need a bit of a football fix uh, tonight then it is Wimbledon versus Ramsgate who we touched on in the last pod I think are the lowest remaining team in there um, in sort of step eight of the uh, of the football pyramid so yeah good luck to them uh, away at Wimbledon but chaps that's all we got time for we'll be back on Thursday where we'll review all of the kind of Tuesday Wednesday Prem action look ahead to Tottenham West Ham Everton Newcastle in a bit more detail and preview the weekend action but pleasure as always have a great week cheers boys yeah. one two three